Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Lots to get through this week. In a recent interview with Harper's Bazaar magazine, Beyonce let us into a reality of photography commissioning that many will be unaware of. She says this, I remember being in a meeting discussing analytics and I was told the research discovered that my fans did not like when my photography was black and white. They told me I wouldn't sell if it wasn't in colour. That was ridiculous. It peed me off that an agency could dictate what my fans wanted based on a survey. Who did they ask? How is it possible to generalise people this much? Are these studies accurate? Are they fair? Are all the people I'm trying to uplift and shine a light on included? They're not. It triggered me when I was told, these studies show. I was so exhausted and annoyed with these formulaic corporate companies that I based my whole next project off of black and white photography, including the videos for single ladies and if I were a boy, and all of the artwork by Peter Lindbergh for I Am Sasha Fierce, which ended up being my biggest commercial success to date. I try to keep the human feeling and spirit and emotion in my decision-making. This reminded me of a shoot I once art-directed back in 1996 with Janet Jackson, recreating her in the image of the black actress and star of the film Carmen Jones, Dorothy Dandridge. The photographer was Farouz Zahidi and the makeup was done by Kevin Aquan. I was the art director and I can't remember who the fashion stylist was. Janet was lovely, enthusiastic, and we chatted on the phone one-to-one about what we would do and how, way before the actual shoot. Despite this, the moment that her record label got involved, things spiralled out of control. The shoot took 24 hours in total. We took over two studios at Smashbox in LA, Her own cook was drafted in and her personal florist. The total cost of the shoot was $25,000 and the record company picked up the bill. It could have been a simple shoot, just like the Demi Moore one, I should say, I described on a previous podcast. But the men in suits thought she wanted something more than that. I'm not so sure. Following on with big business impacting on a photographer's life and profession, in the UK in the last week, consumer media subscriptions business Dennis Publishing has been acquired by the media company Future for a purchase price of approximately £300 million. I thought it would be worth hearing from the CEO of Future so that you can get a sense of how people who make these kinds of deals talk about the very thing that you are relying upon for an income. So Zila Bing Thorne, CEO of Future, said this. I am delighted to announce the acquisition of a high-quality portfolio of Dennis's trusted brands that will accelerate our strategy, enhance our content capabilities and bring additional geographical and vertical revenue diversification whilst materially increasing the proportion of recurring revenues across the group. 
The materiality, earnings, enhancing acquisition is highly complementary to our long-standing US-first mindset and provides an attractive opportunity to scale our recently created wealth vertical. Whilst diversifying our presence in our knowledge and B2B pro-technology verticals, I look forward to welcoming our new colleagues to future and to continue the successful execution of our strategy to generate long-term sustainable growth and attractive returns for our shareholders. I'll leave you to decide how much understanding Zilar has for the photographers, designers and journalists her business needs to exist. I recently visited the Bristol Museum and Art Gallery where the inaugural Bristol Photography Festival is staging a collection of small exhibitions of work and a slightly larger room containing Martin Parr's personal collection of documentary photography prints by other photographers, 12 of which have previously contributed to this podcast. The other work consisted of one room containing a small exhibition of prints by one photographer, a corridor with two sets of work by two separate photographers and work by a series of photographers interspersed with paintings from different periods that are part of the museum's collection. I never like to be negative about initiatives to do good things with and for photography, but I am going to give my opinion as it was shared by my nine-year-old daughter who went with me to see the work. And after all, surely, if she gets engaged with the work, then it will have done its job in inspiring future generations. So rather than hearing the opinion of a man in his 50s who has spent his life looking at photographs, I will give you the opinion of a nine-year-old girl who shoots from the hip and who has nothing to gain or lose by saying what she says and thinks. The issue for me with all of the work, as was with Florence, is this. The room with the photography in it by one photographer was badly printed. And as Florence said, it was boring and it didn't make any sense. The work in the narrow corridor, her take on it, was that it looked like a bad school art project. I have to agree. And the work that was interspersed with other painting and contemporary work and historical work, just didn't seem to make any sense. That's from Florence, not from me. But once again, I agree with what she has to say. The work that was on the ground floor, which was put together like a standard photographic exhibition, contained a lot of the greats from the history of British documentary work. And actually, I thought it was very good, and it really seemed to make sense. We were warned before we went in that some of the work may not be appropriate for a small girl to look at. Well, hey, guess what? Her favourite picture in the whole exhibition was the one with male genitalia, cartoon drawings all the way around the frame by Peter Mitchell. So that didn't really work out, did it? In summation, I wish the Bristol Photo Festival success in the future. It felt to me like an old-fashioned type of festival, no doubt helped by the involvement of Martin Parr, a Bristol resident, in securing prestigious locations for showing work. It had a festival programme that smelt nicely of ink and was free to pick up. It had a controversy at its inception concerning Parr's involvement, 
but it did in the end come to fruition. But despite the show of Parr's personal collections of prints, neither Florence or I felt the festival was for us. And that made me wonder, who was it created for? And who was it staged for? And perhaps most importantly of all, who do the creators of the festival think are the audience? Is it for photographers? Is it for students? Or is it for the future of photography? I don't think any of that was clear. But I've got to be honest, I think it's failing on a number of those levels. Regular listeners will know that this podcast comes together through serendipity, never through planning. But everything that's been happening over the last week or so concerning Afghanistan and the amount of photographers I know who've worked out there, who've been speaking up about it, it seems only natural to me that this week's contributor is really worth listening to. Claire Thomas is a photojournalist and fine art photographer from Wales, currently based between London and New York. A graduate in politics from the University of the West of England, her photojournalism work is focused on issues surrounding political and military conflicts, human rights and humanitarian and environmental crises. From within the camps that emerged from the refugee crisis in Europe to the front lines in the battles against ISIS in Iraq, Thomas has covered a range of stories in various countries, contributing images and photo essays to leading newspapers, magazines and news agencies worldwide. Her editorial clients include the New York Times, Sunday Times, The Guardian, National Geographic magazine and Al Jazeera, among others. She works regularly with United Nations agencies and international non-governmental organisations including UNDP, UNHCR, Amnesty International, Oxfam and Save the Children. Thomas's work has been shortlisted for awards including Photo Journalist of the Year at the 2017 Press Gazette British Journalism Awards, the Photo Essay of the Year in the 2018 UK Picture Editors Guild Awards and the 2018 Amnesty International UK Media Awards Photojournalism category and Women Photograph 2019 Year in Pictures. A keen horse rider, motorcyclist, adventure and nature enthusiast, she has undertaken several independent photography projects in diverse and remote corners of the world, including Alaska, Wyoming, Lesotho, Mozambique and more recently Mongolia, where she photographed the iconic Kazakh car, I hope I said that correctly, eagle hunters of the Altai Mountains. Claire is trained in battlefield first aid and surviving hostile environments. What does photography mean to me? Well, photography means a great deal to me and has become a very big part of my life. What started as a hobby and a passion that took me to many remote, beautiful and culturally diverse parts of the world has become a full-time profession that allows me the great privilege of being able to share the stories of people I meet and the places I visit. As a photojournalist and documentary photographer, I really believe in the power and importance of storytelling within photography in a way that's captivating and engaging and prompts the viewer to ask questions, thereby increasing awareness of an issue or a story. Photography, to me, brings to life the words on a page 
and often a single image or a series of images can tell the story in themselves. I've always been very drawn to visual storytelling. A compelling image will linger in my mind much longer than the words I've read. I've long been inspired by the work of great photographers whose timeless photographs are etched into our collective memory. At university, studying politics, I focused on global policymaking and international relations. Since then, I'd always felt drawn to try and see for myself the realities on the ground for the people impacted by the policies and conflicts I'd studied, people who are often far removed from the echelons of power and decision-making. After a few years of travelling and developing my interest and skills in photography, I decided to pursue a career as a freelance photojournalist, striving to capture images that could contribute an insight into the human cost of political and military conflicts and humanitarian and environmental crises. And so began my journey into the unknown, the unpredictable and often unforgiving world of freelance photojournalism. I quickly learned that there's no obvious roadmap to success as a freelance photojournalist, but with a lot of persistence and mentoring and guidance from a fellow Welsh photographer whose work I admire, I started to find my way. After a few freelance assignments with local newspapers in my hometown in Wales, I travelled to Palestine, where I began producing photo essays about life in the West Bank and the daily struggles faced by Palestinians living under Israeli military occupation. In December 2016, while I was working in Greece covering the refugee crisis, I decided to travel to northern Iraq, where the battle to liberate the city of Mosul from Islamic State control was underway. What was initially intended as a two-week project led to almost three years of me living and working in Iraq, covering the country's struggle to defeat ISIS and recover from decades of conflict. This period of time was a turning point in my career. And it really reinforced my conviction and belief in the importance of photography, not only in providing a visual record of events, but in confronting the viewer with the raw reality and horror of war, putting a face to a conflict or a crisis and serving as a reminder of our common humanity yet disparate fates. In 2019, I decided to leave Iraq and seek out new stories in a completely different context, I began working on a personal photography, photography project that draws on my background and affinity with horses. The project is an in-depth look at the relationship and bond between horses and the people whose livelihoods depend on them. To kick off the project, in October 2019, I travelled to Western Mongolia to meet and photograph the iconic Kazakh eagle hunters, horsemen and semi-nomadic animal herders of the Altai Mountains. Visiting Mongolia was a lifelong ambition and I set out to capture a collection of images that offer an artistic and accurate expression of traditional herding families' lives and the relationship between the people, the animals they raise and the land that sustains them. In contrast to the scenes of conflict and suffering I photographed, projects like Mongolia present an important opportunity to document a traditional way of life that's likely to look quite different in years to come and to capture what I find to be a common thread of the human struggle to not only survive, but to build a better future for oneself and family, be that in situations of violent conflict, occupation, refugees fleeing towards hope, or nomadic people subsisting on what many would consider meagre resources. I feel very privileged that through photography, I have the opportunity to capture a glimpse into people's lives, 
people who so kindly and generously share their life stories with me. Making those connections with people and being able to share their stories through photography is what I love most about my job and what means the most to me about photography. Thank you, Claire, for your contribution this week. I think a perfect example, evidence of the bravery, commitment and level of engagement that is required if you're going to work in these areas of conflict. As I said, I've known a, a number of photographers worked, who've worked in this area and we've had a, a number of photographers who've contributed to this podcast who've also documented these kinds of conflicts. Obviously, we wish them well. We wish them safe journeys and safe passage wherever they are. But as we also know, documenting those kinds of stories can have an impact some mentally and some physically and sadly some fatally so it's really important i think that we recognize photographers working in that field and the important work that they do if you enjoyed that contribution you might also like to check out the book that contains over 89 professional award-winning photographers from around the world explaining what photography means to them. I mention it on the occasional podcast because I think it's really useful and really good. Anyway, it's available at £9.99 plus post and packaging. It fits into your pocket and it's available from bluecoatpress.co.uk. The perfect little thing, to little book to slip into your camera bag or your pocket when you're now going out to coffee bars and sitting there having a coffee kicking back. Something that we haven't been able to do at all over the last 18 months. I described earlier on this podcast how I'd been in Bristol recently. What I noticed from being in Bristol, as well a local city to where I live, is that no one was wearing masks Nobody was uh, social distancing and there did seem to be a feeling that everything was back to normal. Well, of course, people listen to this podcast from around the world and everybody's at a different state with COVID. But here it's not over, but it seems to be over. It's a very strange kind of a situation to be in. Anyway, just as we wish well to all those photographers working in conflict areas this week, so we wish well to anybody who has contracted COVID might be listening to this podcast in isolation. Um, and let's hope that you get well and let's keep being sensible. And of course, whatever happens, the thing we all have to do is always to take care. <laughs>